You guys have a good Christmas? Yeah? Get any good gifts? Let's be honest, we're, we're most adults here. Gifts just aren't as exciting. But me and my family, my wife Sam and my son Shepard, we had a great Christmas. You know, my son's 13 months old now, and so he's, he loved the gifts thing, so that's a new, new joy of gifts through him. Um, and yeah, we had a great few days in Chicago, uh, but we're excited to be back in, in God's house. What better way to end 2018, amen? Uh, this weekend's kind of weird. It's got a weird feel. It's not Christmas, but it's not the new year. It's kind of awkward, isn't it? It's got a weird feel. But, um, but as we gathered together the last time as a church in 2018, I just think it's really important for us to reflect on this last year and uh, reflect as we also ready ourselves for 2019. I just think that's really important for us to do. Um, and as me and my wife Sam were talking just the other day, she was asking me, what are, what are some of our highlights of this year? And so we got talking about vacations that we've had and uh, the first year of our son's life and Camp Harvest, the way we've seen God move here in our church, a lot of exciting ways. And I would encourage you to do that as you end this year, to take some time with your family, with your spouse, to just think over the last year, reflect. But the truth is, is that when we reflect a lot, we think a lot about the highlights the victories, and we don't spend a lot of time talking about the defeats, not so much. And so today, we're going to be talking about, as we reflect, both the victories and the defeats, and we're not talking about the bears and lions, unfortunately, because we know how that went this last year. Was that too, am I rubbing it in as a bears fan? I'm sorry, lions fan. We won twice, if you didn't know, and it was great. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. So as we think about our victories and defeats this year, we're going to be in 1 Kings 19. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Our ushers are coming forward. If you don't have a Bible today, you can just raise your hand. They'll get one uh, to you so that you can follow along with us. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, that's a late Christmas gift for you. You can keep that. Um, so we're going to be there in 1 Kings 19, looking at both the victories and the defeats. And we're going to see here in 1 Kings 19 that so often on the other side of our greatest victories can be defeat. Right after victory, defeat can be there. Maybe you're feeling that today after Christmas. You know, Christmas is this time of celebration and victory and joy. And maybe today around the holidays, there's stress about family situations or just truthfully the state of your finances after all those Christmas gifts you got that you can afford. And and just right now after Christmas, in the middle of this holiday, a time that's supposed to be marked by celebration and victory and time off work and time with family, all of a sudden it's being marked by defeat that came out of nowhere. I know that I kind of experienced that uh, in, in a little way uh, ourselves on Christmas Eve. Uh, we were excited for Christmas Eve. Uh, we had a great weekend at church on Sunday and then a Sunday night off from high school ministry, some chill time. Uh, and then we're looking forward to Christmas Eve, have a slow morning get ready for services that night, and then we were going to head back to Chicago that night. And so I got up on Christmas Eve that Monday to go through normal morning ritual to make me and, and Sam some coffee. And if you know me at all, I'm, I'm into this thing called pour over coffee. Uh, all the other people on, on stage here that talk about how they love it, I got them into it. I'm just saying, got to take credit. But so I was brewing pour over coffee, and all of a sudden my son crawled up and reached his arms out. He wanted me to hold him. So I picked him up, holding him in one hand, got my kettle in the other hand, pouring some water, and we've done this a lot of times, but all of a sudden, this time, Shepard decides to just nosedive for the pour-over device and to pull on it and to, to pull the hot water onto himself and onto me, 
And all of a sudden, Christmas Eve, a slow morning, turned to a trip to the ER. And me and his mom kind of freaking out a little bit. And ultimately, the doctor saying, you know, your son's a lot less concerned about this than you guys are. And so he's doing well. We got him some burn cream. You know, I don't know if you can see from out there, but I've got a little bit of burn myself. I was way more concerned about him. But I'm thankful he's okay. But it's just crazy how sometimes in life, um, victory and something celebratory can so quickly be followed by or interrupted by defeat in our lives. And we'll see that here in uh, the story of Elijah. But before we get there, I just want to give you some context with Elijah's story because I'm not sure how familiar, familiar you are. Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament, and Elijah, when he was called by God to be a prophet, the big thing that he was called to do was to confront this king of Israel, King Ahab. King Ahab was an evil king who had led the nation to worship gods that were not the one true God, but to worship other idols, to worship uh, this god called Baal. And so Elijah was called by God to confront Ahab about his evil, about his idolatry. And so as he did that, God called Elijah to call a drought upon the nation of Israel. So that's really where we, the first thing we see for Elijah, he calls this drought to come. And so God tells him to go in hiding because you you could imagine how upset a king would be if a guy came and said, hey, there's not going to be any rain in your country for a while. And so he wants to hide out and God sends him, gives him this safe haven. He's basically living in a van down by the river and there's ravens there feeding him bread and water and there's like a, it's called a, a brook cherith for him to get water from. That runs out because of this drought. And so God says, hey, I've got another safe place for you to stay. Go to this widow's house. So he goes and knocks the door on this random widow's house and is like, hey, God told me that you're supposed to let me live here and take care of me. And she's like, oh, okay. And, and Elijah's like, hey, hey, feed me. And she's like, well, all I have is this one jar of oil and this one jar of flour And by Elijah's faith in God to provide, all of a sudden this widow's house turns into like Great Harvest Bread Company and they're just rolling out cinnamon swirl loaves like it's the week before Christmas. (laughs) And, And then all of a sudden after this amazing miracle, this widow's son starts to die. And she's like, Elijah, God sent you here and now my son's dying? What is up with that? And so Elijah, again, faith in God, for provision and for his calling, raises this woman's son from the dead. Awesome story so far. Like, that'd be a great movie, wouldn't it? And then uh, there's been a drought now for three years, and God decides, hey, I want you to go and confront King Ahab about his evil and about his idolatry and to tell him that this, uh, this drought's about to end. But first, Elijah, I want you to go up against 450 prophets of this false god uh, these false prophets and to challenge them. So Elijah goes and says, hey, prophets, let's go on this mountain and have a, have a, have a Pokemon battle. But instead of Pokemon, they're like, let's see which god can send down fire from heaven. And so these Baal gods are trying to get their, their gods that don't even exist to make fire come down. It's not happening. And Elijah just prays one prayer, bold in faith, and God sends down fire from heaven. And then he, he, it says he slaughters the 450 false prophets. He has victory over them. And, uh, and this is where we find Elijah. Would you say so far that Elijah's life would, is filled with victory? Absolutely. At this point, Elijah's like the, like the Tom Brady and the Michael Jordan of prophets. He's the greatest of all time to go. I mean, out of all the victories that happen in Scripture, this victory at Mount Carmel against the prophets of Baal is one of the, the greatest victories in God's word. 
But all of a sudden we see that right on the heels of his greatest victory, defeat creeps in and follows. And so I want you to consider this morning as we go to 1 Kings 19, as 2018 comes to an end. Would you say that this, this year, this season, this moment you're in right now is defined by defeat? That you just find yourself discouraged, without hope, feeling down. Maybe you call it seasonal depression, but just right now you would, you would say this, this time is defined by defeat. Or maybe if you're in the room too, Maybe, maybe 2018, this season, this moment, you're filled with a sense of victory. That's awesome. I don't want you to be discouraged in that. But I just believe that whether you would say this season, this time is defined by victory or defeat, this, this passage, God's word is going to speak to us today. Because if you find yourself in, in victory right now, just as we uh, see in the story of Elijah, that so often our greatest victories can be followed by defeat. And when that defeat comes, will your faith be able to sustain and endure the weight of defeat. Maybe you're sitting there already knowing this message is for you because you feel defeat. I want you to hear this today, that God does not want you to stay there. 2018 may feel like it's going to be defined by defeat, but it doesn't have to be. There's still a few days left, and as we look ahead to next year, there's hope for a better year. And so God's word is going to encourage us today. Um, so let's, let's check this out in 1 Kings 19, verse 1. So right after that victory, it says, Ahab, that's the king, told Jezebel, his wife, the queen, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Man, what a story of defeat. And so let's break down what we see there, this way, this path into defeat that so many of us have experienced. And the first step that we see there into the way of defeat is to listen exclusively to circumstances. This is what Elijah does first here in the passage. You would think to yourself that Elijah's just seen God do this amazing, huge thing. He just had victory over 450 men. So why, the, why, why would he be afraid all of a sudden of this queen threatening his life? And that's because he's listening exclusively to circumstances that rather than um, looking at and believing in and listening to the past things that God has done, amazing things, he's only looking at the present circumstances that are causing him to begin to feel defeat. Isn't this us so often that the present, that the present circumstances resonate louder in our ears than the past faithfulness of God? Time and time again, he's done amazing things, but we look at the thing right in front of us Listen exclusively to circumstances. And, and we see Elijah do this. He listens exclusively to circumstances, and this is the first step into defeat. And we see him going there because what happens next? What does it say in the verse, in verse 3? It says, then he was afraid. And this is the second, second step along the way into defeat. It begins by listening exclusively to circumstances, then choosing fear. Choose fear. And when I read that line in verse 3, 
that then Elijah was afraid. I, I read back through the whole story of Elijah because I wanted to make sure. But check this. There in verse 3, that is the first time that Elijah is afraid. We went through Elijah's story. A, a bunch of crazy things happen. But right here, this is the first moment that Elijah is afraid. Why now? Why after all the other things that, that, that were dangerous things that could have led him to fear, all of a sudden now he's afraid? Up until this moment, he listened to God's word and chosen to trust God. But now here in this moment, he listens exclusively to circumstances rather than the character of God, and that leads him to fear. That leads us to fear in the same way. And I just want to wonder, as I look at that, why is it this time that Elijah was afraid for the first time? And as we consider that based on his circumstances, why we so often begin to experience fear. Maybe, maybe this is the first time that Elijah experiences fear because he's burned out. He's done all these amazing things time and time again. Uh, but now it's this big battle against the 450 prophets where he's just drained. And you would think this big amazing thing happens. But even still, the king, Ahab, and his wife Jezebel, and the nation of Israel, they still follow these idols and these false gods. And, and, and Elijah's just maybe feeling the weight that a lot of people in ministry do of like, I'm, I've done my part, God. Why aren't you doing yours to, to move in people's lives? And, and maybe you've experienced that in your life when you're just drained, you've got nothing left, you're empty, circumstances have worn at you, and so fear creeps in in that moment. Maybe he's afraid for the first time here because of fear of man, or I guess in this case it's fear of woman, but maybe we experience that. I don't know about you, but I know that I've dealt with being afraid of man, of what people think of us, and the queen in a position of authority and power threatening the life of Elijah, that maybe he just is worried what people think about him, and so he doesn't like that his reputation is threatened, that we feel that a lot. We're afraid of what the people over us in authority, our bosses, you know, our, our, our leaders, the people we look up to and respect, we just care so much that they think what they think that we begin to feel fear. Maybe the first re time he experiences fear here is because it's the first time his life has been per personally threatened. A lot of crazy things have happened in his life, but a lot of those have to do with a widow and her dying son and Obadiah and other people, but now his life personally is threatened. And so because it's become about him, maybe that's why he experiences fear. Is that you? Have you been there before? That, hey, if, if, if family is in a place where they should be afraid or the company, like, that's not that big of a deal. But the moment that you're threatened, then you begin to feel fear. And I don't know why exactly this is the first moment that Elijah experiences fear, but I think it's important for us to consider what are the things, the circumstances that lead us to choose to be afraid. So Elijah chooses to be afraid and another step further in defeat, and we know that he's just digging deeper into defeat because of what comes next. And the next step further into defeat that we saw was that the, uh, to run towards the wilderness. Run towards the wilderness. We saw that in verse Four, as he uh, leaves that place and goes into the wilderness. And I think it's really cool, as I went back through the story of Elijah earlier than the passage we're looking at today, eight different times we clearly see directional movement in Elijah's life. And, and I just think it's really cool to contrast how he moved before this moment but now in this place of defeat, of choosing fear, of listening to circumstances, how his direction has changed. That eight different times we see this language. Uh, one of the, the verbs that we see is this, that he came near. 
he came near twice. And I think this is cool. Earlier in Elijah's story, he came near to the people and to the places where God was calling him to. But here in verse 4, in verse 3, it says he arose. And we see Elijah change directions. Before this moment of defeat, he would come close to the place that God was calling him. But now he's arose, he's withdrawing, he's going away from the place God called him in fear and defeat. That we also see this verb of running. It says Elijah ran. Elijah ran once. That's more than some of us in 2018. But Elijah, before this story, he ran after King Ahab. God told him to confront this king, to call out his evil, and Elijah ran to the place that God was calling him. But here in verse uh, 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 3, it says he ran for his life. That in fear and defeat, rather than choosing to run after God and his calling, he ran for his life, for his comfort, for fear. That the other directional language we see most often is uh, the verb went. Elijah went. And we see this five different times. I think the coolest and most important time we see this verb is back in Elijah 17.5. It says, uh, you can see this on the screen. So Elijah went and did according to the word of the Lord. So prior to fear and defeat, Elijah went, and, and, and four other times in that moment we just saw, it says he went and did according to the word of the Lord. But here in verse 4, it says he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, that rather than going and doing according to the word of the Lord, Elijah went into the wilderness. And this is, this is a huge deal. Why is this a huge deal that Elijah went to the wilderness? Well, because... The wilderness, uh, in researching, I looked at a dictionary of people, of words and places in the Bible, and the wilderness means, in God's word, it is a place of wandering and sin and temptation. And so this is huge that Elijah runs and goes to the wilderness because he's going to a place of wandering and temptation and sin. We know this because the people of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Exodus 16.1 says it most explicitly. It says, all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. That's what the wilderness stands for. And this is the exact place, the exact same geographical place. It's not even like he went to a different wilderness, the different desert. It's the same wilderness that Elijah goes to for selfishness, for comfort. And you may be sitting there and wondering for yourself, how do I know if I'm headed in a direction of defeat, headed in the direction of wilderness. And, and I would just encourage you to step back and even think now in your actions and your thoughts, where is your life headed? Where are the, the, the things that you're doing leading you towards? Towards a place of wandering from God and rebellion and sin and even putting your place in a place of temptation to sin? That we can see ourselves headed towards defeat if we find ourselves running for the wilderness. And so it's in this place, the wilderness of wandering and temptation and sin, where Elijah takes the fourth and really the final destination of defeat, which is to believe that I am all alone. Believe I'm all alone. In verse uh, 3, it said, Elijah left his servant behind when he went into the wilderness. He isolated himself before he even believes he's alone apart from God and apart from any hope. He isolates himself from other people. And maybe you find yourself doing that, isolating yourself from your spouse or godly people in your life. That that's a really dangerous thing for us to do and a really quick way 
to land ourselves in a pit of despair and defeat. And so it's in this place where Elijah gets to, believing he's all alone, sitting under this tree in the wilderness, and he asks God to take his life. He says, God, I'm done. I've got nothing left. I'm alone. I've got no hope. Just take my life. And I totally can resonate with Elijah's just extra over-the-top emo responses, because that's me so often. You can ask my wife. That's true. Emo, extra, over the top, just being unreasonable and dramatic and, and even going to God like that, just like, woe is me, I'm the worst. God, take my life. And I've had so many moments of despair like that in my life, but I can't help but be moved most. By the end of Elijah, he asked him to take his life, and he says, I am no better than my father's. And I know that I mentioned this the last time that I preached at the end of the summer, but you may not know, but my father passed away in March, and that was a really big event this year that led to uh, uh, experiences and moments and, and ultimately a lot of times in a place of defeat. I can't help but think of Elijah's statement saying that and thinking about um, just the sudden and sad end to my dad's life and the reality that he was a, a pastor for 25 years and then was not a pastor. And then a few years later, uh, him and my, my mom got divorced. And then a few years after that, his life ended abruptly and and I'm grateful for my dad, and I love him, and I, I love to remember the good things, but it is very easy, like Elijah, with a situation like that, to listen exclusively to the circumstances and to choose fear, and to even to, to believe, like Elijah, that I, I would be even worse than my father. I'm no better than my father, and I just, I, I, I think that that's really important for some of us to hear today, because you might be in that place. I've, I've spent time in that place in 2018. Have you spent moments there in a place of defeat, in a place of just, just feeling without hope? Maybe you had moments like that this year, and, and maybe even like Elijah to an extreme, you found yourself, whether it was emo and dramatic or genuinely having thoughts of taking your own life. You know, I work with teenagers, and, and more often than you would want to believe, I'm having conversations with teenagers who are talking about suicide. And maybe that's something that you've experienced this year. And I think it's so important to be honest about. Because you may be sitting there, you may have had thoughts like that this year, genuinely thinking about taking your own life or just being without hope. And I want you to know as you're sitting there in that place that there's hope today. There's hope for you. You don't have to leave this room staying in that place of defeat. Because so far, as we've looked at the story of Elijah, we've seen him take these steps into this downward spiral of defeat but the story does not end there. And if you've been taking notes, uh, your brain may have been hurting for the last 15 minutes because that big idea blank is still empty at the top. And so I'm gonna go, that's right, I, I knew. I was trying to get your attention, you're just waiting for that to be filled out, and here it is. Here's our big idea. God breaks the silence and shows Elijah this, that the way out of defeat is going back the way I came. That's our big idea today, that God wants to give Elijah the way out. Elijah's asking for God to end his life, and God doesn't want to do that. God's not going to grant that wish, and the same for you today. God doesn't want the end of Elijah's life. He wants the end of Elijah's selfishness and believing of lies and just living in this place of defeat. He wants to give the way out. That's God's heart. And I know this because of this promise in 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 13. Read this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape 
that you may be able to endure it. And so hear that today, that there's a way out. God wants that for you. That's his heart for you. And so we're going to see in the, the, the next part of Elijah's story, what is this way out of defeat? We see this clearly here. The first step, uh, this way out of defeat, is to realize I'm not alone. The opposite of that last point. Elijah believed he was all alone. He had no hope left. And the way out of defeat is to realize that I'm not alone. Read with me in verse 5 of chapter 19. It says, And Elijah lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Elijah's in this place believing he's all alone. And God shows up. We actually know when it says an angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, that is Jesus himself coming to Elijah and telling Elijah that he is there for him. He is not alone. He wants to care for him and to provide for him. He gives him bread and water to eat. And just like Elijah, in your defeat, God has not given up on you. Hear that. If you're in the room today, if you have breath in your lungs, God has not given up on you. And God wants to give you hope. God wants to give you a way out. He wants to show you the way. Do you know this, that when we feel alone in our life, when we're in this place of defeat, God is actually the closest to us. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That the first step of the way out of defeat is to realize and believe that God has not abandoned you. Instead, God has not abandoned you in your defeat, in your despair, in your depression. God is making himself most available to you. And when you feel like you're alone, when you feel like God has gone away, instead, God is reaching out his hand and saying, I want to help you. I want to give you the way. And as you hear that today, that not just for Elijah, but that for you, God is not abandon you. God is closer than you know, and God is making himself available to you. And how will you respond when the God of the universe, the one who created you and made you, in your moment of hurt and despair and feeling alone, wants to help you and wants to give you the way out? Let's see this here, that for Elijah, Jesus himself came and brought him bread and water so he would continue living. And do you know this? If you've never had a relationship with God, if you've never put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, that Jesus came to Elijah to give him bread and water, but we know this, that Jesus himself came in the form of man to be the bread of life, to be the living waters, and that by going to the cross for our sins, that when we believe in him, that we have life forevermore. And you need to know that today, that if you're in this place of defeat and you do not have a relationship with God, that today... The God of the universe, the God who wants to give you life forevermore is making himself available to you. So whether you're a believer or not, how will you respond when God is trying to wake you up and show you that you're not alone? James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God is making himself available to you. If we would draw near to him, he will draw even closer to us in our time of defeat. And this is exactly what Elijah does in verse 8. Read this in verse 8. It says, And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. And this is the second step on the way out of defeat to run towards God's presence. 
rather than running towards the wilderness and the wandering and sin to run towards the presence of God. And that's what Elijah does here. He runs to this mountain called Horeb. It's called the mountain of God. And we know that this mountain has another name in the Bible, and it's Mount Sinai. And Elijah runs to Mount Sinai because he is confident that God's presence will be there. This is the place, Mount Sinai, where God appeared to Moses in a burning bush and made his name known for the first time. I am Yahweh. The Mount Sinai is the place where God gave the Ten Commandments to his people so they would live a life to honor and glorify him. Elijah goes to Mount Sinai because it's a place that he is confident that God's presence is there. I mentioned earlier that we were able to go back to Chicago for Christmas time, and I don't know if you guys travel for the, for the holidays, but a lot of times when you live in another place that you didn't grow up and you go back to that place, there are restaurants and places that you want to go because they're your favorite places. And so on uh, Thursday, my mother-in-law was gracious enough to say, hey, I'm going to watch your son. I want you and Sam to go to the city of Chicago and to have a nice little uh, day date together. And so we go, and we're driving on the way to Chicago, and we're kind of trying to decide, hey, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go to eat? What are we going to do? And so immediately I'm like, okay, well, well let's go to uh, Purple Llama because that's the best coffee shop in Chicago. And then, you know, for food, there's really only two choices. We're either going to Acheval or Paisano's. And so what are we going to do? And she's like, really, can, can, we try, can we try somewhere new? And I'm like, okay, I mean, those are the best places we already know. But she's like, let's try somewhere else. And, uh, you know, as you can tell so far, I'm not the best at this whole date thing because I should be way more romantic and want to please her in that. And so I texted my brothers who still live in the Chicago area, and I said, hey, I only know the 2014 version of Chicago. Fill me in on 2018 version of Chicago. Where are the places to go to eat? What should we go? And so they sent a few suggestions of a cool places, cool places, and we picked a few spots. You know, there was a, a new coffee shop that I'd been wanting to try for a while, and so we went there, and then we went to one of the restaurants that my brothers had suggested, and at the end of it, we were just like, you know, those places were good, but they just weren't as good as the, the places that we normally go. I'm like, exactly, because when we're in Chicago, we are confident of the places that we can go for the best food and the best coffee, and so let's never make that mistake again. <laughs> and this is why Elijah goes to Mount Sinai, because he is confident that when he goes to Mount Sinai, that God will be there, that God will meet him there, that God will speak to him, that God will reveal things to him. And so this is why he goes to Mount Sinai. So when I ask you for your life, if you're in this place of defeat and you want to meet with God, where is the place that you are confident that you will meet God's presence? Maybe it's church. Maybe it's this place. And I believe that along with you, that we can be confident God's word says where two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, he is there. And so we can be confident as we come and gather at the church that God is in this place. Maybe that place for you is, um, it's a little, a little 90s old style, but maybe you've got a prayer closet at your house. That's awesome. You've got a, a room in your house that you know that's where you go to, to enter the presence of God and to meet with him regularly. You know, I know a lot of us, for me, it's like places where I have a space to think, space to pray. So maybe that spot for you, it's, it's the shower, it's the car on the commute, that those are the places that when you create space to pray and meet with God, that he will be there. He will meet you there. For Elijah, that is 
That is Mount Sinai. But what we're going to see is that as Elijah runs to the presence of God, the place he's confident where God will meet him, when God meets him, God doesn't meet him in the way that Elijah wants. And so often that's true for us as well. That when we are in this place of discouragement and defeat, we seek God, go to the place we're confident where his presence is, and he does something different that we would expect. And um, that's what we see here in, in verses 9. Read with me. This is a really cool part of the story. It says, There Elijah came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Dramatic, emo, over the top, unreasonable. Do you think God's really asking Elijah, why are you here? Because he wants him to explain himself. And God said to Elijah, verse 11, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke it in pieces and rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper, or other translations say a still, small voice, and when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there was a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said again, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. They seek my life to take it away. God, are you deaf? I said this last time. So it's here on the mountain where Elijah goes confident that he's going to enter the presence of God, where he expects God to meet him one way, and God is trying to get a hold of Elijah's attention, trying to send him the message. And this is the message that he wants to send, which is our third step out of defeat, which is to choose trust, to choose to trust in the character, in the power, in the person of God. When we see Elijah here as God confronts him on the mountain, that he is wrestling because he is still just rattled with fear because of the circumstances he's facing. So as God meets Elijah on the mountain, we see Elijah wrestle to choose fear or like God's trying to tell him, choose to trust in me. And so I just want to break this down, what we see fear saying to Elijah and trust saying uh, uh, through the word of God on this mountain. And so we see that fear says, sit down. Sit down back in the cave. We see Elijah do that. Have you ever felt that, that you have been in a place of defeat and, and you're just like, man, I, I, need, I, need, I need God. So I'm going to go to the place where I'm confident I'm going to meet with God. And maybe you come to church and you're like, take that bold step. It was hard for you. You got in the car, you drove here. And all of a sudden you got in the building and you're just like, oh gosh, I'm so uncomfortable. And you, like Elijah, sit down back in the cave of darkness. And you may not go to a literal cave, but functionally in the way that you're you're talking to people, interacting, and, and engaging in worship. You're sitting back down in the cave. And that's what Elijah does. But trust says, stand up on the mountain. Stand up. That's what God says to Elijah. He says, hey, Elijah, you came here to meet with me. I'm here. Stand up on the mountain in front of me. Come and talk with me. Come and see me. Stand up. Don't stand up on the, the mountain of, of your, your ability. Don't stand up on the mountain of 
the way that people are responding to your ministry. Don't stand up on the mountain on the assurance and the confidence of your circumstances. Stand up on me. Stand up on the mountain of my uh, power, of my foundation. Fear says, hide. Hide from the disaster. That's what Elijah does, sitting back down in the cave, hiding from the earthquake and the fire and the wind. He's like, man, I don't know what's happening, but there's some crazy loud noises out there, and I'm staying in this cave. I'm going to hide. But God said to him, he said, stand up on the mountain because trust says, wait, wait for the calm. That fear says, I just got to hide from all the crazy, insane things that are happening in my life and all around me. But trust says that I need to stand up on the mountain and wait because it's after the chaos and the disaster and the calm where God speaks with his still, small voice in loving kindness. And because fear says, keep trying to explain yourself to God. Explain yourself. That's what Elijah does. Again, God's not asking him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Because he wants Elijah to, to really plead his case and justify his actions and justify his emotions. Fear says, explain yourself, but trust says, stop talking and understand what God is doing. So we see in these verses that Elijah is still wrestling with fear and with trust. And so because he's not clearly getting the message of what God's trying to say to him, God makes it abundantly clear in verse 15. And this is our last step on the way out of defeat. We'll see this here in verse 15. It says, go, and the Lord said to him, go, return on your way. The last step out of defeat is to listen exclusively to God's calling. Listen to God's calling on your life. Don't listen to the circumstances of your life. And so God is abundantly clear with Elijah because Elijah is not getting it. And he says to him, go, return on your way. And even more than that, he gives him a clear game plan of his next steps and, and the purpose of them. He says, go anoint a king over Syria. Go anoint a king over Israel. Go anoint Elisha to be a prophet. He's going to replace you. And it's going to be through these three men that I'm going to work, that I'm going to uh, fulfill my purposes. And here's what Elijah's trying to uh, what God's trying to get Elijah to see. He's trying to tell him, go, return on your way, go back to what I've called you to do, and I'm going to work, but I'm going to work through other people because I'm going to be faithful to work and to move and to accomplish my purposes, but it is not about you. It's about my glory. God's saying, go, return on your way. Go do what I've told you to do, and don't do it because it's about you or for you. Go and do it because it's for me. It's for my glory. And as I think through this last year in 2018 and the defeat that I've experienced in my life, I want to tell you that by God's grace, I've been able to climb out of that defeat, but it's never been easy. I've never done it perfectly. But it's begun by realizing that in the middle of my defeat, in the middle of my loss, in the middle of believing lies, that God is closer than he ever was before. And as God was there and I would run to his presence, run to his people, the church and my wife and my small group and people who will support me and encourage me, bringing me to a place, wrestling between choosing fear, but ultimately choosing trust and choosing to believe that what God is doing is good, 
and what God is doing, he is faithful in it, and that he will accomplish his purposes. And ultimately, for God to say to me, go return on your way, because I can tell you, there were moments this year where the things that I've never lacked confidence that I was called to do, things like being a husband and being a father and being a pastor, that when it got hard, when I got defeated, when I got discouraged, those were the last things that I wanted to do. But in that moment, for God to say, go, be faithful to the things that I've called you to do. Because it's not about you. It's about me. It's about my glory. It's about the work I want to do in your heart when things are not going your way. And so as we come to a close, and I want to ask you that. What are the, the things that God has called you to do that because of the defeat that you've experienced, that you have punted on? that you've stopped, that you've, you've gone down this rabbit trail of defeat, and right now God's saying, go, return, do the thing I've called you to do. Maybe it's being a spouse, that in your marriage things got hard, or there was a fight, or there was an illness, or there was a thing, and all of a sudden you and your, your spouse stopped being kind to each other, stopped being nice, and then you, you just stopped doing the roles that a husband and wife are called to do, and you may not have filed divorce papers or had that conversation, but functionally you guys are not even really married. God wants to tell you today, go, return on your way. Come back out of the defeat and be faithful as a spouse and see what I'll do. Maybe it's your calling as a parent, that with a kid in your family, parenting them just got really hard because of behavioral issues, uh, um, because of other circumstances, because they don't like you as much as they did when they were younger, or maybe they just became a teenager. And God wants to say to you today, go return on your way faithful to do what I've called you to do. As a parent, you are called to shepherd your children and to straighten them out in their sin bends for the glory of God. And it's not easy. And it may not end the way that you want to, but go, return your way. Maybe it's something I haven't mentioned. Maybe it's serving in church or being making disciples, telling people about Jesus. But it's really easy for us in a church this size where God's doing uh, seemingly a lot of things through other people to say it's happening, I, I don't need to play a part because it's hard for me. But right now God wants to tell you, go return on your way. Be faithful to do what he's called you to do as a disciple of Jesus, to serve and be a, a member of the body of Christ and to make disciples of Jesus, telling people about him. Would you bow your heads as you consider the thing or the things that God has called you to do that because of defeat and discouragement and despair that you have abandoned your responsibility. But right now as we pray, would we ask God, give me, give me the way out. Give me the ability to be faithful to what you've called me to do and see you work in the process. Father, we come before you now just grateful for who you are, grateful for your character. God, that in the middle of the earthquake and the and the tornado and the fires blazing around us. That it's right in the calm after those difficult experiences that you meet us. And I pray that right now, God, as we look to your unchanging character and faithfulness, and that you've provided a way out in your son Jesus, a way to life and forgiveness and hope today. God, we want to go and return the way that you've called us. Give us the faith and the strength and the life to do it in the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.